Welcome back to the Deep End Podcast. I'm your host, Sam, and today I have a very special friend and um, we met in a very unique way. We met online. I, uh, Damien reached out to me, Damien DeVicentis is who we have here today. So Damien runs a podcast called The Raw Trading Podcast and helps support people in the trade industry and the construction industry in developing strong relationship skills that they can use both at home and in the workplace. And it's through this podcast of raising awareness of um, developing these skills. And yeah, I was invited onto this podcast and it was amazing to be uh, yeah able to express my passion and information and educate people And now I have Damien on my podcast because there's some wisdom that I really feel um, comes through when we exchange in conversations. And I'd really love to share Damien's story with you. Um, Just, I guess, my intention is to, uh, you know, let it be known that you don't have to be an expert in relationships or intimacy or anything like that to build self-awareness and to understand yourself and to go through a personal development journey. Um, This is available to anybody and everybody. And um, yeah, I'm really curious about how um, just more about Damien's journey of his personal growth. So I'm excited to share this with you today and thank you for joining us. So thanks so much for being here, Damien. Appreciate you. No, thanks for having me, Sam. And I love what you spoke into, how it evolved. And I suppose it's in that, in the world of social, social media, how accessible people are. But I guess the, you know, the real touching part to this is when you realize that, you know, you connect with somebody else that has the same interest intentions, and then you essentially just want to drive that message. Yeah. That's one thing I've really enjoyed about our conversations is we bounce off each other really well and then we have very similar intentions. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So I'd love to begin with um, where did your personal development journey begin? Look, I've always had the personal development part in me from a very young age. I've always been very interested in bettering myself, whether it be when I was, you know, heavily involved in my sporting aspirations And then, you know, you fast forward to business. I've always been very aggressive, I guess, on wanting to be better. But the development and the awareness, I suppose, that you're referring to really started for me just just over a year ago. Um, And it was on the, really on the catalyst and on the back of me being made aware of some incredibly horrible choices that I made in my life and it might sound to those listening the choices that you made you know you would have been aware well the the deeper that you go into this word you then begin to start to appreciate the subconscious and the inner child wounds and the masks and the shadows and all those things that can lead to you making unconscious decisions on, on particular choices so My development work really started when I chose to take responsibility and accountability for those choices that I'd made. When I realized that every part of what played out and who I was, when I looked really deep inside, it 
wasn't the person, it was not the person that I am. So I chose to put my hand up and really own and not fall into that victim life that we can, you know, quite easily do, but just acknowledge that, hey, I need to do something about this and, and, and untap and really go deep and unravel all those things that, that are in there that are festering. So I did a workshop just about 18 months ago. Um, it was the day after my sister's wedding. Um, there was a group of the, um, called the Amend Movement. They're holding a workshop in, in Melbourne. And it was literally me getting out of my car being approached by a big, Maori, muscly bloke looks me in the eyes, doesn't even know me and just puts his arm and gives me the biggest warming hug I'd, I've ever received. And from there, I just knew that how important community was, how important owning your stuff and how important just doing the work really is. And that's, you know, from there, I've just gone from different leaps and different opportunities and different, you know, I guess communities and things like that, just to really understand and appreciate the real deep back, you know, backbone of why we do some of the things that we do, those habits, those behaviors, all those things that are deemed bad, horrible, disgusting. Why do we do that? I love this. And it sounds like, was it a men's workshop? Like what were you, what was it that you, what was the workshop? So it was a men's workshop. Um, and at the time there would have been 18, 18 or 20 men, blokes. And what just made me feel so comfortable, so vulnerable was looking around and seeing men that I could relate to tradies. Some of them were big bustling guys with tattoos all over their face. There were bikies, there were big rugby players. There were, there were guys that if you were to walk the street or in, in the work that I do, go into that construction site, you would think that they're no different to who you are. However, to be in a, in a room with men that you can look around and they've all got something going on as you do, it was a um, it was a special day, and some of those guys in that room are some of my closest friends today. That's incredible, and it just highlights how important men's work is. And it's a theme for me, like with the men that I interview in this or bring onto this podcast, like the healing journey that is available for men who do choose that path. It's like not only for yourselves healing the relationship you have with yourself as a man, but healing the relationship you have with your brothers and then healing the relationship you have with your sisters and healing mm. the relationship you have with um, everybody else in your life. Mm. So powerful. Yeah. And, and, and men's an interesting topic because as men, we've got this stigma, stigma around us where we have to be strong. We have to be, we have to lead. We have to have everything going in it. We, you know, we've got it all together. And it's progressed as the generations and as the years have gone on. And unfortunately, when you try to put that mask on of being that proud, strong 
man's father, husband, you can very quickly begin to lose lose yourself. And an interesting exercise that I um that I do with you know with with men that I speak to is I, I ask them what's the most important three things to you or the three things that you love most. And very quickly, it's and it's very common that you get your, your typical answers: kids, wife, providing, putting a roof over their head, all those things. But amongst all those typical top five answers that that I hear, very, very, very rarely do I hear me. So as men, we're constantly living this this cycle, living this life of providing all our time energy for other things, whether it be the kids, whether it be the wife, whether it be the house, whether it be the business, whatever it might be. And they're all valid points, right? I'm the same. My kids mean the world to me. But how can we provide our utmost best to our kids if we haven't done that to ourselves? Yeah, I love that. So it sounds like, and what I'm hearing is that your personal growth journey has been around how you can be a better person and then how that then makes you become more available to be a better person for others. Mm. When we can start to love ourselves with the utmost of authenticity, respect, appreciation, and everything that comes in between there is the moment that we can do the same for others. Mm, I love that. So what's transformed in your relationship since you started doing this work? Our relationships, and, and, and we're not talking to relationships, we obviously you know, directly think immediately to our direct relationship, whether it be our wife, partner, girlfriend. Um, but me stepping into the journey of, of self-development and owning what we call owning your shit has and again, I'll go back to what led me to that. I made some horrible choices in my life, which resulted in in uh, a separation in my marriage. But what the self-development work's done, where I chose to dive straight back or walk back into that fire and understand all the things that led me up to that moment, has allowed me to maintain an incredible relationship with my, my, my children's mother and she's an incredible person in herself with regards to she has stepped into the, the work as well. So out of something horrible, bad to the outside world, in a way, has led to the most beautiful opportunity for both of us to really go deep and understand so much more to ourselves than we ever would have if we had just been on that life train of work, provide, give, kids, all those, all those things. So it's, it's allowed out of bad, like I said, in my direct relationship with those around me to be vulnerable, to be open, to be honest, to express emotion and feelings without this facade of that's giving all my power away. And then you roll that into my own business. I've started to massage into my business 
the level of vulnerability, the you know, level of openness, safe container, and all those things within my own business where the relationships with my employees, again, to those on the outside, I would be deemed as a, a weak, poor business owner or leader. Where on the flip side, I've got six or seven guys here that can openly call me any time of the day and if they if they need to, can shed a tear without any judgment, any opinion, any view, anything from their boss. So the work on, on my relationships has been massive and from something that really was a huge challenge in my life. It was almost like house of cards collapsing around me has led to me, I guess, falling back in love with myself, which has allowed me to really be open and at peace with everything around me. I really love that. It sounds like you um, developed the self-awareness skills and found the strength and vulnerability and transformed from the belief system that there's weakness because vulnerability is like exposing ourselves. We make ourselves um, vulnerable to pain and getting hurt. And there's so much fear around that. I mean, there is a risk in being vulnerable, um, but there's so much strength in it because it does take courage and it does take, um, yeah, a sense of bravery to be able to lean into that and express from that space. So, that's awesome. That's what I'm hearing anyway. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, being able to build that muscle of vulnerability, build that muscle of authenticity in your relationships. How does that help? Like, what have you noticed that shift in your workplace with your staff? The, the, the biggest shift that I've noticed amongst, amongst our, and again, I use the word community because that's something that I instill into my guys here. So just to give some perspective on things that I've, I've made safe in my company that we've implemented that not many other companies do. And, and I'm not discounting other bosses out there that may have an incredible relationship with their employees and, and it's well needed. But we have a toolbox every Monday and something that we've been doing for the last couple of toolboxes and, and, and don't quote me, but I reckon I got this from you is before we even get into the nitty-gritty typical safety discussions, the you know, project and all the numbers and all that thing that bore most people, is we have a little five, 10-minute round table of emptying the bucket. Yeah, so I stole this from my partner. <laughs> mm, and um, yeah, it's a great tool. It, and it's incredible how that played out. The first week it was looking around the table with guys, you know, as if they were deers, you know, stunned in front of headlights. It was, really? What? You don't want to know my problem. You could, and there was no input. But as the weeks progressed and we've allowed and, and really made that, that room a safe container, what comes out is all that resentment between individuals on site because of the most trivial of, of incidents or, or situations get brought up on the table. You know, the, where the boss made the guys work unduly overtime after a solid day on the Wednesday gets brought up. 
And what that does, where we have no level, level of judgment or opinion, we can then turn that into feedback. And we allow these group of men, rather than going off the site and having those typical construction banters, chicaning, bagging situations where little groups then start forming and resentment starts to, you know, coming in and we're playing that game of Chinese whispers of actually what was playing out. When it's unpacked and put into a room as simple feedback, we've then got an ability to try put ourselves in the other person's shoe and work through it. And from a group of guys where we spend more time working than what we do at home, there's going to be times where they get frustrated with each other. They get frustrated with me being the boss. They might get frustrated with the, the guy that is booking their jobs in. But when we just empty that bucket on a Monday morning, how you start the week, how you end the weekend, I'm finding that that level of vulnerability, that level of openness, and just allowing them to feel safe is having a profound impact on on our efficiency and you know the the way that they're handling themselves on a day to day. I really love that because it's like you're not sweeping anything under the carpet and I don't know what it was like for you growing up but culturally for me being raised in a Greek family and Greek setting like everything was laid out on the table there was no room for anything to be swept under the carpet like anger was expressed frustration was expressed we would scream and yell and then five minutes later we'd be laughing and getting along um so that's awesome that I got to experience that but I do notice how that can be quite polarizing and triggering for people who haven't been raised in that kind of culture um, in the workplace. Like my background's HR, so I have an awareness of what, what you're speaking into. It's so, so common to have that in workplaces where people do not feel seen, heard or understood because they don't have the tools to authentically communicate how they're feeling. Mm. By creating a space of emptying the bucket, I love that. And it's awesome that, like, as weeks go by, you're starting to notice that more things are becoming, um, are being shared. Because at the end of the day, like, I don't know if you've observed this in your in your workplace, but um, it's never personal, ever. There's a book called The Four Agreements that I love. Have you heard of it? No. So good. So the four agreements are: don't take things personally, don't make assumptions. Um, be impeccable with your word and always do your best really solid book easy read maybe three or five hours and the don't take things personally is about like you know when you're going when you feel triggered when we feel triggered it's bringing stuff up something that we've experienced like the body doesn't know how to differentiate between um, trauma that we first learned in our childhood and a moment in time presently that's like bringing us into that state of mm. being do you notice that between your your team at work like mm, absolutely do, yeah and, and something that i often talk into is every single one of us that walk this planet have some form of inner child wounds regardless of how good or bad you felt that your childhood was every single one of us has something in there and for me I had the most incredible, supporting, loving upbringing anyone could have imagined. However, I've still got things in there that I never knew were in there. 
And to provide, you know, to give some context to that, something that I learned is I hate being told what to do. I hate being told how to do it. And you then start to unpack that. That comes to me, or that was instilled into me as a bad thing because of the discipline that was imposed on me at a young, at a young age, European background, like you said, it was my way or the highway. And I was a kid that was very inquisitive. I was a child that would test the boundaries. Looking back, that's what kids do. That's what, you know, I see my own little kids. They just want to push the boundaries and that's just them getting a feel for this incredible world. There are things that are new to them, but as parents, we try to do everything we can to make them safe and, and protect them. As a, as a young four or five-year-old, that comes across as overpowering, controlling, dictating. And that's a little emotion that just gets parked inside of me. So when I become a teenager or when I become a business owner, that turns into, I, I'm old enough now. You're not going to tell me what to do, how to do it, because I had to deal with that when I was five years old from mum and dad, and I didn't like it. So you're not going to do it now when I've got the power to stand up for myself. And that comes down to that inner child wound that if you don't understand or appreciate it, sometimes those reactions, behaviors to a situation were something that was formed 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. 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 Totally. I love that. So how has your journey, like your personal growth journey changed the way that you show up as a parent? It's always, always a work in progress and, and, and parenting. I would the be easiest job in the world, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's, all, that's why I paused and thought about it. Parenting, I would go as far as saying is one of the most, beautiful yet most challenging roles anyone could sign up for and me becoming more aware about myself my behaviors how I was parented and all those dynamics to being a parent have changed immensely to where I was two years ago for me I fell straight into that that rabbit hole of I've got kids now, I need to support, I need to provide, I need to do all these things as a father that I I observed growing up. Where now for me, when I do have the kids, obviously being a we 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 have an incredible co parenting relationship, I do my best to one catch my emotions, my my you know, my, my patterns my wording and just really try to be present with them in what I can do. And, and I'm no Superman, superhuman parent now because I preach this work and I, I talk into this work. I have the same challenges and the same reactions, triggers that most parents do. But I try catch those moments when I can see myself falling into, into old habits. So I don't have children, but I understand relationships and I understand healing work and I understand shadows and reflections and mirrors and stuff like that. And some of my clients have kids and I teach them the tools that I teach them to practice. You know, I've got multiple programs, whatever, but 
I teach them the tools, you know, of what I teach in 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 um those relational experiences between men and women, and then also self love, um, relational experiences with just people who are platonic. But yeah, what I'm noticing and what I'm aware of is that our kids, children, um, reflect to us because children mimic, right? That, that, that that's how they grow they mimic us we've mimicked our parents we've mimicked teachers we've mimicked um people who've guided us along our journey we've taken what we like you know what we think is good or bad subjectively and then we behave that way so with the knowledge and the awareness that you have around yourself do you feel and notice the triggers that reveal themselves your kids are just mirroring back to you? Like what's your experience like when they trigger you? What do you notice? We're all sponges, something that I learned very quickly. And, and, and that sponge can be vastly different for many different people. We can have somebody that's a soft, cushy, absorbent sponge. And we can have another person that is a very rigid, strong, tough sponge. Yeah, both polarities, we're both sponges. And that starts from a very young age. From a very young age, children are sponges to their environments. The minute that they come into this world, they've been in the womb for nine months, feeling warm, cozy, safe. And they come out into this world of sun, air, noise, chaos, smiles, crying, sirens, all these things, and they are absolutely petrified. So they look for safety, they look for reassurance, and as parents, we're their first engagement of, of, of that security that they're looking for. And something I know with my children is, as I was being a very soft and, um, I guess, absorbent sponge, particularly my son, no different, and he reflects my energy almost identical so when he goes from zero to 100 like most kids do i need to be very conscious of how i react because when i drop down to his level where he's just in a moment of not being regulated and i look at him with strong open bold eyes he notices that immediately and it's fire versus fire where if I drop down and allow him to feel safe in that moment of him just in absolute chaos and put my arms around him, it's incredible how that moment for him can diffuse very quickly because I haven't responded in the way that he was responding. I love this because going back to how we began this conversation, you were talking about choices, unconscious and conscious choices. So, you know, that the, what I'm hearing is that like you have made the conscious choice to co-regulate with your son, to co-regulate with your child who um, is, you know, obviously dysregulated, you know, challenging you in some way. Um, and this goes against like, a lot of parenting things mm. that we have learned of like, you know, if a child is misbehaving, they need to get punished for that. Like misbehaving, what even does that mean? Mm. And um, the punishment is just whatever it is. Like 
um, I think our generation, we grew up getting smacked and, you know, physically punished or um, whatever it was. And now it's like, okay, when this is happening, what's actually going on beneath the surface? And it's mm. the antidote. And it's inter- it's yeah. interesting where you went there with the with the punishing. Being European, it's, it, was, it was almost ingrained in the parenting Bible of parents that, this, you know, the belt or, or, or the smacks was part of growing up. It's the only way that you can educate and guide your children. So I had my fair share of floggings. But unpacking that now, and particularly even noticing this as recently in the last six months, during my sporting aspirations, I would absolutely punish myself physically to try achieve a good thing, achieve being recognized, it would be not uncommon for me to just literally run myself to sleep because that's how I was conditioned and how I told myself that after punishment is when you're going to be accepted and rewarded. And that comes down to, and again, I'm not criticizing and I'm not having to go at my parents because they knew what they knew best at the time. But that comes back then as a young boy where I was just, exploring where I was testing the waters just to be, you know, that, that growing up being a kid, getting a feel for things that the only way I would, my parents would be happy with me is after I got punished. So interesting. Um, Yeah. What came up for me when I was hearing you speak just then was like social conformity, Mm. you know, like, don't stop you crying otherwise I'll give you a reason to cry and listening to other parents judge other parents be like this, they need to learn how to control their child like yep. control their child like what is that mm-hmm. let's replace control with connect you know like connect with your child I'm not a parent you know like I get judged for this all the time like wait till you have children I've had people reach out to me I'm like um I've witnessed people practice what I'm preaching about how to be a conscious parent and how to securely attach and create secure attachment. So it's not coming from a place of ignorance. It's coming from a place of seeing it in practice and like hearing Mm. you speak about the choices you used to make with the way that you parented. to now the choices that you are making because you've become more aware of alternative options that will yield a different result. Mm. And so what is the core difference that you've noticed in the behavior of not only yourself as a parent, but your child from how you used to relate with them to how you are relating with them now? Mm. I'll, I'll go on a few angles here because Great. I love, I, I love where you went there, how you, you shared that you, you know, at times you, you find yourself having these projections at you because you haven't got kids. And I love that in itself because something that we've lost, something that we're not aware of is we are all kids. Yeah. Regardless whether we are five, 25, 35 or 45, we all have our kids in us, but there's this perception out there that once you get to the age of 18, 21, whatever it might be, that all those traits and behaviors as kids, they're back there. They're at primary school. They're at high school. We don't need that now. But now in this self-awareness work, there are times during the week where I'm having conversations with 
some of my employees, but I'm not speaking to them as my employees. I'm speaking to them as the three-year-old self, the six-year-old self. So where I'm going with this is how we, we show up to our kids that are infants, teenagers, is no different to how some can show up later in life. So I'll go back to the question you asked. How, how, is that, how has that really, I guess, changed the dynamic in my relationship? Well, it's interesting because we, you know, I, I live apart from them of periods of, you know, of, of the week. Something that I've noticed is how soft they are to me, but how open they are in their communication, not only to me, but their open and honest communication when they're away with me to their mother about anything and everything. There's not a topic that, or there's not a situation that, that happens when they're either with the mum or the father that is a, is a moment that doesn't get spoken about. So when they're having a meltdown, we don't try to suppress and shut that feeling down immediately. Like you said, I'll give you something to cry about. It's what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? Tell me what's upset you. And allowing them to do that, they'll come back. I didn't like the way that you, you looked at me. I didn't like the way that you responded. I'm feeling sad now because she's got the toy and I didn't. So you can then to begin to unpack and understand, okay, right now they're sitting in not feeling worthy. Right now they're feeling that they've failed. Right now they're feeling that they are not accepted. So rather than that's suppressing that, them not feeling worthy, them not feeling accepted, them not feeling loved, suppressing that emotion, that feeling, making them park it somewhere else inside of them, where it will surface later in life, always does, always will, when you address it there and then, and you don't, not only do you make them aware of what they're feeling, you begin to appreciate it. That's where growth happens. And that's where that connection that you mentioned about really starts, starts happening. Yeah. It sounds like you're installing the skills of self-awareness from a very young age and helping them understand and create a sense of emotional intelligence. Now, I imagine that if anybody's listening and you're a parent, um, you know, you've given some really solid responses of a child who has an awareness of their emotions because you've been practicing this for a long time, you know, but what with what I face with my clients is that they're met with, I don't know. It's like, what's up? Say you, I don't know. For me, from the outside looking in, when a child responds with that, my question is that there's a potential that what they actually need is attention. That's why they don't know what upset them. What do you think mm. about that? Something that I learned out of my, my one of good friends now when we speak about this topic, he, he made mention that of the concept, I guess, of always making the kids right. And we do get those responses on, I don't know. And that's an interesting response there because they either don't feel safe to share what they're feeling or to they've got an expectation or assumption of what's going to happen if they do know or do share what they're thinking. So it all comes down to how safe we've made 
that environment feel. And I'll use the example that he shared with me was he would often hear his children swear around the house as kids do. And this is something that's playing out for me at the moment with very young kids where they, they, they learn those colourful like colourful language. Taboo. Yeah, naughty. absolutely. The naughty ones. And initially what he would do is he would respond. So his son would, you know, would say, can I, can I use some colourful words on this? Oh, my God. Absolutely. <laughs> so he would hear his son saying, oh, fuck. And he would respond, what the fuck did you say, bro? Not catching that he's actually responded on the thing that he's actually called his son Ford on. But in the way that he's responded, he's also, his tone's been very aggressive. His eyes have opened right up. So what that's done is straight away, you're putting your son into fear fear mode into survival mode where he knows what what's going to happen here and what you've done is you've shut that suppression on him not understanding in that moment fast forward now the way that he's navigated that is when he hears that he lowers his eyes lowers his tone hey bro um what made you want to use that word when you're talking there Oh, I don't know, Dad just came out. Oh, that's cool. Have a think about it and let me know why you think that you, you, you know, using those words are just you know, are coming out for you. So what you've done, you've made him feel safe, but also you're making him think. You're not suppressing that emotion on him. And they may come back with a response. Oh, you know what, Dad? I'm actually using that word because every time I'm down at the skate park with the boys, they seem to be swearing and I often have to talk like that. So I... I can feel cool and feel accepted by the group. And straight away, you can see that he's not feeling worthy in that moment when he's with his friends. So he has to then start, you know, I guess, synchronizing with his environment to try to feel worthy and accepted. Social conformity is such a thing. I just finished listening to an audiobook lecture, like online course, like, like Audible has those like free course things. And I was just finished. I've, I've, I've known about social conformity because I learned about it in high school um, and uni. And it's just fascinating how it shows up in society. And as you were speaking, um, I remembered something that I read in um, – a book and it's, I've just lost my train of thought of, of miss just left me, but you were speaking into, um, yeah, checking in with, with the child and asking them about, I don't know, it'll come back to me. Um, but yeah, so it's really interesting that the ripple effect of this information and what it has as well in terms of like, you communicating with your child in a particular way and then they get to learn the self-awareness skills and the emotional intelligence to then communicate with people in or the kids in the school grounds or wherever they're like at the skate park wherever they're playing they get to be leaders of that Mm. way of communicating and that ripple effect is just it's it's profound yeah and so and you you spoke about social conformity and that's and, and that's an interesting way to look at it and 
a lot of the, I guess, the, the audience that I'm trying to attract in my podcast is men, particularly in the construction industry. Something that I've noticed through my deep work is just the pain and the fractures and the hurt that's circulating amongst the, you know, amongst the industry, but more so amongst men. You talk about social conformity, and I'll, I'll, I'll take this towards the, the man. Now, as the man, we have two things that we compete against on a day-to-day basis. One is the man inside us, and two is the man next to us. Mm, I love that. Now, what does that mean? Well, subconsciously, what that means, and this goes right back to the start of age, where as men, we were put on this earth to provide support, feed, and all those things to your family. Subconsciously, we don't realize as men, and the reason why we don't feel safe often to communicate, open up, and, and, and share is because we have an inner belief in a limiting belief that we're competing with that man next to us. So we can't drop our guard. We can't be vulnerable. And in turn, we then turn the mirror back on self and we start competing with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then that's when those behaviors, those patterns, all those things start surfacing because we can then start falling into that vicious spiral tornado of we have to have it all together before we can really show our emotions, our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, It's so interesting how this shows up in so many, it's, it's so layered, you know, we're told what to do. We're told what to think. We're told how to behave. Um, we're never really asked the question of reflection and introspection, which it sounds like this is the, the theme here. And I remember learning once about this, you know, like when we're educated in the school system, it's like this is what happened in World War II. You know, um, Japan attacked America and so America decided to, like Pearl Harbor and so America decided to attack back. And then it was this whole thing. So what happens is when you get fire, you fight fire with fire. There's no inquiry hey, guys, and also the information isn't fully accurate of what they get educated in high school. I've heard somewhere that in Japan they don't even get educated on what happened in World War II. But um, there's no inquiry of like, hey, when this happened, this is how this country responded. What do you think about that? What was an alternative way of, of, of it's, it's more like this is what you need to memorise and that sets the program. And it's the same sort of thing of what you're speaking into with kids and young children and also how that shows up in the workplace of like having that um, ability to check in with yourself and ask where and why. Where is this coming Mm -hmm. from and why am I behaving? Why am I choosing this way of responding to my experience? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're spot on there. Like I'll give you, I'll put some context to that on how we often do what, we think has to be. I'm a plumber. I run a plumbing business. And many people ask me, what made you become a plumber? Because it's, let's put it simple. How many people like getting dirty dealing with the obvious on a day-to-day basis? Now, back when I was 15 years old, 
I remember it was a Thursday night before a grand final we're having a pasta night in the club rooms. Um, and, at that, <laughs> and, and at that time, a few of the other boys had dropped out of school and had started their apprenticeships. And I remember I was at that, that stage in life where I needed to start thinking about what my career was going to be. I knew that I didn't like school, so university just wasn't going to cut it for me. So I then knew that I had to do a trade because let's be let's be you know let's be real. I'm probably not going to be that budding AFL footballer that I I expected I was going to be from the age of seven. So I asked the boys, boys, I want to do a trade. What trade should you suggest? And there's a boy by the name of Jason, and he turns to me and he goes, Damien, the one trade that we see on site that comes in, you know, rocks up onto site in the fancy utes, and on a Friday he comes comes to work with his ute and the boat on the back, and he's always happy and always seems to have a lot of money is the plumber. So I put this frame, this expectation there and then that I was going to become a plumber because I was conditioned from a young age that to do well in life, you need to be rich, to be happy in life, you need to have money. So I knew that I was dedicated, I knew that I was committed and I was going to become a plumber so I can have all the money in the world start that business one day so I'm financially rich and I'm going to be the happiest bloke on this earth. Not, 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 not taking into consideration the, the outcome or do I even like the trade? Why do I want to be doing this for money? How come if I love football so much, why don't you go and maybe do PE teaching? Why don't you do something that satisfies everything that is about you? Rather than fulfills you, rather than do something that's going to make you a lot of money. Because exactly like a lot of people believe that fulfillment comes from money. I got faced with this a lot, like because when I was doing HR, I worked in this office space, and I'll remember, I will never forget this conversation. So we did like it was a small business, a HR company I worked for, and we shared an office with accountants and um. Basically, I was about to go overseas for eight months and, um, oh, yeah, I still worked for the company while I was traveling. It was really cool because I was doing the social media. And basically, like, yeah, I ran overseas and right before I left, I was talking to an accountant, a guy who was similar age to me. I was about 26 at the time. And he was like, you know, why are you going traveling for so long? Like, don't you want to save for a house? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, nah, I I had a deposit for a house. (laughs) Like, nah, I'm going to go traveling, you know, not having the emotional, I'm not having the financial awareness of like investing and all of that that I do now. But back then it was just like living for the moment. You know, I could die tomorrow and I don't want to die unhappy. I just had a very free spirited perspective and I still do in some degrees, but this conversation, he was like, oh, don't you want to leave a legacy? Like, I want to leave a legacy for my for my dad. Like, I want to build a business and leave a legacy for him and follow his footsteps. And, like, it was for somebody else. Because I learned from a very young age that um, if I don't live for myself, I could feel the resentment I had towards others, that control, being controlled, being told what to do. I was always a bit of a rebel. And I felt his judgment. I felt his like programming into being told you need to be an accountant because that's what makes you money and that's responsible and that's what success is. And I'm like, 
I can see how that happens, but like I'm really capping my salary to like 100, 120K max really in terms of career development in HR. Whereas when running my own business, like if we're going to look at it from the lens of making money, it's uncapped, but that's not why I'm in, it's for the fulfillment and the service. But it's just so interesting noticing the limitations that we set for ourselves that aren't even true. They're such an Mm. illusion. Yep, because we, we're told if you go and do something that you're passionate about and that fulfills you, you're not going to make money. Mm. You're not going to succeed. If you don't have a business within the first three to five years, if it's not succeeding, then it's there's no point pursuing that. Whereas I've heard people who have followed their passion for 20 plus years and are now succeeding in the sense of being self-sustainable through the financial, you know, income that they get from it. Um mm. But just speaking into that, just how interesting it is that we have this 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 narrative that you cannot be happy, you can't have both. And success, what's success? And you exactly. spoke into you spoke into a, I guess a limiting belief and I guess a story that resonates for me massively, and it's very European. On that, it was Aussie European. Dream, that Aussie dream where you have to. Buy a house, own a house. A white picket fence. Well, that's right, because that's that's when you've made it. That's what success is. But interesting going through this journey that I have and unpacking what it is to be a parent and how you're parented, often, like you mentioned, the parents and what they're trying to get out of their children or what they're trying to really drive their you know, children to work for often is something that deep down inside of them they feel that they failed at the projections yeah for sure and that's what it is a huge projection we you know we we we, we often you know you look at those soccer mums or those soccer fathers on the sidelines that are just not enjoying the moment not being present in seeing their kids do what they do but they're just getting so aggressive so one would call it passionate about what's going on, but it's a huge projection on them trying to live out their dream through their kids. Yeah, totally. So success can be an interesting, interesting word because there's a story at the moment that I, there's a story that I heard last week of two businessmen that were meeting in New York. And I don't quite remember the names they were or their businesses, but they were, they were successful in their own right, each of them. And one of the businessmen looked at the other and he goes, I've made in one year more than you will ever make in a month. Right? I beg your pardon. I've made more in one month than you would ever make in a year. And the other one turned to him and he looked and he goes, that's great, but I've got something that you will never have. And he goes, go on, tell me I have enough. And and what's enough? We don't know, unfortunately, in because we haven't been taught this of what enough is. Oh my god, I love that. That's so true. So we go through this life going back to that man competing against ourselves and the man next to us. We don't know what enough is. I know many, many people living under bridges that would say to themselves that they're successful because they've managed to find a roof over their head for that night. Exactly. 
I, I splurged all my life savings on that trip and I learned so much and I like I feel there was such a huge success in that for myself, my spiritual awakening, my spiritual journey mm. that I got to experience through spending a you know deposit worth of money on travel. Mm. In your eyes there in that moment, that was enough. That was enough. And it and it will forever be enough. Like I love that. It's just this rat race mentality of like striving, 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 building, 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 and it starts from schools. And that's a whole other conversation for another time. Um, before we finish up, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what the Raw Trading Podcast is about and what your attention is with it and who is it for. So the Raw Trading is a podcast that's um, at um, Apple, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I put it together to go into the areas and speak Oh, I just had a little technical difficulty. Can you tell me that again? It just dropped out for a second. I love, right. te- I love Mercury retrograde. That's what's happening right uh, now. Oh, yeah. I felt that the other night. Don't worry. Oh, my God. So annoying. Um, yeah, so the Raw Trade is a podcast that I I put together and it's been, we've been speaking about for some time, but I, I managed to step into the discomfort and, and, and get it out there. And I put it together on the, on the basis and on the real motivation of speaking to those in the industry with a honing in focus on men in the industry to discuss and go into those areas that isn't made to feel safe, isn't made to feel... Well, that Mercury retrograde again. I guess accepted. Yeah, sorry, you said you noticed that they weren't feeling safe and weren't feeling accepted. Yeah, so we, we were talking to areas where they don't, they wouldn't feel safe or accepted to talk about on site, in the side shed, at the pub, at the footy game, wherever it might be. And we talk about topics that, what it is to be a man. We talk about addictions, behaviours, patterns, parenting, passion, purpose, and all those little dynamics to life that we can we can lose in the name of money in the name of working hard in the name of providing so my motivation towards this podcast is to change the narrative on what it is to work in the industry we had are you okay day come and go last week and i think it's a beautiful Mm. day are you okay day it's a huge day and to have are you okay day should be every day yeah, I Absolutely. agree. Yeah, I agree. So if we can just change the narrative on what it is to work in this, change the narrative on what it is to be a man, where we authentically love, care, we're empathetic, we're passionate, without any conditions, any caveats, any judgment, any opinion, the skyrocketing suicide rate that we see, the high level of mental health, challenges that we face the minute that we can create that safe container and the work on this awareness and better understanding yourself mm, i really love that but we've just got to make it feel safe just got to make them feel safe you said 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you're creating this conversation in the workplace, especially in a specific field like construction and trade where like it's you're 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 working with people who are you know surrounded by the narrative gotta be a real man's man Mm. boy big boys don't cry kind of attitude so it's awesome I love it I love this podcast so and thank you for having me on there and also like for, for taking the time to create this for people so that they can um, learn and grow in the same sort of way that you have or learn from your experience and grow with that. Yeah. Awesome. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? No, I think it's great. I love having these chats. Um, and like you said, you know, you can talk all day about it, but it's just conversations that, the conversations that should be had more frequently between friends and between partners and between colleagues and whoever it might be there there's nothing wrong there's nothing right there's nothing it's just conversations that should be had where you just go deep and you genuinely you know look and care and want to know want to understand rather than just live in this regimented Mm. life that we live I yeah. understand all the different, you know, colors of a rainbow. That's when, when beauty and growth starts. I love that. That's such a beautiful way to finish. It did cut out a little bit, but like, yeah, I'm hearing you like being mm. able to um, open up from our rigid way of being and just allowing a different alternative way of being. And yeah, not settling for a, um, a way, you know, going deep in these conversations and normalizing it. I love that. Yeah. 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 Yep. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been no, thank such you a me, nourishing too. conversation. We never really know the direction of our charts, which is great. And I love that we journeyed through and explored parenting and what that's been like for you since you've developed these skills. So thank you for, for yeah, just going there. Thank you. And everybody listening, I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for joining me on the Deep End Podcast.